Today's episode is brought to you by the Sounds in Cinema podcast. Mike and Tom are washing their mouths out with soap because the Everything Sequel podcast contains explicit language. Hello and welcome to the Everything Sequel Podcast. Here we are, still with the Harry Potter edition. My name is Michael Schantz. With me, of course, is Tom Stewart from Lonesome Whistle Productions. Say hello to everyone, Tom. You may not like it, Minister, but you can't deny Dumbledore's got style. <laughs> <laughs> Is the music. Oh, come on. You're diminishing that the, line a little bit. If, That's music, great stuff. Shacklebot. If the music is, uh, that is the music that comes after that line in everyone's heads. No, it's not. You're making up stories. Hey, I like, this monster. is, this is, uh, this is one of my preferred potters as I've decided to start calling them. Right. I yeah, so this is what's difficult for me is that as you know, I really like all of these movies. <laughs> and yet I ranked this one second to last. Yeah. I'm interested Which to, is hard to for me why. to Well, they all got to go somewhere, Tom. <laughs> you know. Yeah, but and, but this but this is a this this is a um, I think a, a a shot in the arm for the franchise. Well, it's certainly... So we have a new director. This is a 2007 film directed by David Yates. Mm -hmm. Aside from Harry Potter, you know, he's done... He does all the rest of the Potter movies. He's doing all the Fantastic Beast movies. Yeah. And other than that, he did, like, the new Legend of Tarzan, which was kind of a mess. Uh, yet, yet Yet another movie I've never even heard of. Oh, yeah. It's with uh, a Skarsgård. <laughs> a Skarsgård. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's as close as we can get. <laughs> but I agree with you completely that, at least in this first movie, it is a bit of a shot in the arm, the look of the movie. Again, we're getting darker, forever darker, as each movie progresses. <laughs> You can always well, you, you can always look to the Warner Brothers logo to find out how dark say, the movie just, is. Exactly the thing is like it's like you can it's like a like a little tone card for the movie. Yeah. It's like oh, this one's going to have a murder in it. Right. I think you said in one of the previous podcasts, one of the previous episodes that eventually it's just like a rusted out iron gate. Yeah. The Warner Brothers logo and that's where you know we're in for first, uh, you know, a dark, dirty time. Yeah, and also the the, the franchise is way past its best. <laughs> at least, at least that's what I'm reading into it. That might have more to do with me than the movie. Well, that sounds pretty derogatory, considering you just said this is one of your preferred Potters. Yeah, no, I. I where I, where I do... where's this one ranked for you? I forget. This, uh, this was third. Okay. Uh, and I said it so was. So it's a, up there. And I said it was a good movie. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Um, to you know, excuse the accidental poetry, but I really like how David Yates came out of the gates. Uh, well, mm-hmm. the, the the rusty wrought iron gates, in fact, right. uh, of Harry Potter. Um, he's got a very clear and fresh take, um, visually and thematically on the Potter movies. And it's all about marrying the old world whimsy of of the Harry Potter universe to what's going on in contemporary Britain. And okay. that comes across very strongly in this movie. Uh, I think part of it is sort of what Caron was going for directorially. But mm-hmm. I suppose the big difference is that you know Caron has other tricks up his sleeve. And, you know, this is right. This is all David Yates has. You know, this is like his <laughs> Seth Rogen dice dance move in Knocked Up. 
You know, it's like, that's all he's got. <laughs> sorry sorry that that example's not from a sequel, but I, I don't think it happens in This Is 40, so I had to say knocked up. Right, yeah, you can't go um, there. <laughs> so th- that's, that's kind of my... My feeling that, you know, even by the end of the movie, I'm tiring of this this kind of shtick uh, of contemporary, you know, contemporizing everything. And then by like the third and fourth movie he's done, I am beyond bored with it. Uh huh. So I suppose the ranking is partly reflective of, of, you know, my my waning interest in this one idea that he kind of peddles again and again and again. Okay. Uh, you know, I, 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 by the by the last movie, I don't need to see a dragon flying by a major London landmark anymore. Right. Yeah, I hear you. Um. So, so yeah. Uh, and at the beginning of this movie, we have the, you know, racing past Big Ben and on the brooms, and is that yeah. what you're speaking to? Yeah, and also, I mean, visually, yeah, absolutely. You know, it's 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 quite it is quite striking to see, you know, the 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 visual language of fantasy, uh, and the way it kind of suddenly appears in a very recognizable modern Britain. Like, I I think that's that's really striking. Mm-hmm. Also, just you know how real world it all feels—the graffitied underpass, the, yeah, the right. kids from you know the kids from the from the rough houses being attacked in the tunnel. Uh, it's it's you know it, it's really it's a really arresting way to get back into the franchise, you know, which can sort of whimsy itself out of existence sometimes. Yeah, and well, and we spoke in the first. You know, certainly that first uh, sequel directed by Chris Columbus, right. and I had mentioned that 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 movie is shot through the the magic goggles, the, or through the goggles of the word magic. Yes, <laughs> and of course, as the movies go on, that is sort of that's drained out of the directorial style, and you're speaking to that, and that front scene where Harry you know, is confronted by Dudley and all of his, you know, bully friends and then confronted by Dementors, you know, in the graffiti, you know, yeah, that all speaks to that. And, it, you know, it's what Caron did at the beginning of um, uh, Prisoner of Azkaban to some extent. Uh, but here it feels it feels grittier, definitely more, more, oh, yeah. more modern and... You know, I I just think about what's going on in Britain in 2007, you know, what's on people's minds, the kind of Britain's involvement in the Iraq war, the the state manipulating the media, um, Mm. more state involvement in education, uh, you know, what the, the, the kind of ethical quandaries that that accompany, you know, uh, our worries about what allying ourselves to you know um, to the US to George Bush um George W Bush in an illegal war in Iraq yeah. has done to our culture and all that is there in this movie yeah. like i was i was struck like i could immediately connect it to those things even it you know being like 15 years ago um but i lived in britain at that time and I know what was in the newspapers every day, and the screenwriters and and J.K. Rowling presumably are really tapping into, um, to hot button issues politically. Yeah. Uh, through through this um, through well, this fantasy guys ministry and with Umbridge and yeah, the school is put upon, and you know the state is trying to control. Whatever the magicians, the, well, and I'm not, the, I'm not the wizards and the witches. I'm not oblivious to the fact that one of the reasons I probably prefer this is that you know it's more palatable, palatable to me because it feels more like an espionage movie or a war movie, like something I can really get my teeth into, and it, and it's something James Bond like. Yeah, well, it, no, and it you know <laughs> and generically it like front loads a lot of things I like. Um, yeah. So everything to do with that kind of. London 
Magic Underworld, which, you know, also from a production design standpoint is absolutely stunning. Um, the kind mm-hmm. of the black tile and the Art Deco elevator and the Orwellian yeah, banner art. It's, it, it's just, it's gorgeous. Um, so it really, it really, um, that kind of stimulates me in a way that beginning with, you know, uh, a bunch of wizards in the forest wouldn't. <laughs> sure. Well, I think the other thing the movie has going for it is the sort of dark imagery, the, now that, now that Ray Fiennes is sort of joined the cast and he is Lord Voldemort (laughs) and we're seeing him in Harry's dreams and all those dream sequences are really cool and good in this movie. I really like all of that imagery. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it, it, it really works on a visual level mostly. Yeah. 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 Well, and so the beginning of this movie, we have a Dementor attack. Mm hmm. And then Harry goes to Grimmauld Place and has to, you know, he has to have it. He has to convene at, at a, a bit of a trial. Is that, yeah, yeah. I, it, is that it, the it front loading you really liked? All of that? Yeah, it turns into a little bit of a courtroom drama, right? Which I, I specifically remember disliking about Young Guns too, but I, <laughs> I'm welcoming here because uh, it, you it's... do seem to flutter back and forth between things you like in it. one movie and things you don't like in another movie. Even in our last movie, because you, you said all it is is set pieces about sports. <laughs> But, yeah, no, that's well, that's true. Live free or die hard. We talked about, and all that is is set pieces. But we well, like yeah, that movie. but I guess I, I like the connective tissue between them. Okay, I mean, I was gonna say that it's not a sport. It's not you know John McClane's not competing in the in the Die Hard Olympics. <laughs> he kind of is in Die Hard with a Vengeance. <laughs> right. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, I, that's, that's certainly true, but I, I just, you know, I, I, I like the, I like the shift, I suppose. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, well, with Young Guns, it was like, this is a Western, I don't want it to become a courtroom drama. Here, I'm like, I don't want you it want to it go to back to You want it to stay in be, its lane? Yeah. I don't want it to be a magic film for a bit. <laughs> and this, if this is the vehicle for that, then I'm fine. Then with you're it. on board. Yeah. Well, and so what's your take on, yeah, what's your take on, because we find out in that courtroom scene, A, they, they have a witness. So you have Mrs. Fig, you know, helping out because she's a neighbor that's been next to Harry the whole time. I don't know how much you got that. You know, in the books, it's very, like, she's a neighbor and he has to often go to her house and. But she never lets on that she's a squib or knows anything about magic. She just thinks she's. Uh, you I know, don't she... even know what a squib is, Mike. So <laughs> you're 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 fighting a losing battle here. <laughs> I'm not even gonna tell you. I thought it, I thought it was in, interesting. Um, just you know, again, trying to trying to link this to things that I know that I know about, and I'm not completely out of my depth on. Mm-hmm. Is that we have a bit of a sequel inversion here. Like Harry being ex- <laughs> Harry being expelled for using magic in the real world, which see which in am I right in thinking in the last movie he's rewarded for doing that? <laughs> am I entirely wrong? Or well, in a previous movie? No, because he... at some point someone's like, "It's good that you use magic in the real world." Right? Some some point someone said that. Well, by by wizarding law, you have to be 17. And then you have... So, right, anybody under 17 has a trace upon them. So if you do magic outside of school, the ministry knows right away. Is and this during something the they summer, talked about in the first movie, or did I miss it? No, it's talked about in other movies. Okay. So it's... <laughs> so, so, sorry I didn't appreciate the, the intricacies of wizard law. Yeah. So it, it it's 
So now it's now it's not good that he. No wait. So it's good. So when he does it before, it's like he's being tried as a as a minor, and they're yes. going. They're like letting him off the hook. And now it's like you can't do this because you're over seventeen. Right. Well, and the, the, basically the okay. whole thing that's going. I mean, you. I'm sure you picked up on this. Mostly the ministry. Don't don't, <laughs> don't be too sure. <laughs> Mostly the ministry just wants to discredit. Harry Potter and Albus Dumbledore for anything and everything they've said about Voldemort coming back, because that means that the public will look upon yeah. the ministry as having lost control. Yeah. I, so if these two people are saying this, they get to say it's nonsense. And look, this boy's a criminal because he did magic mm-hmm. outside of school. We're going to kick him out of school. That's how bad a kid he is. So you can't believe anything he says. Yeah, and and it's it, it it's very interesting, like coming coming off the, you know how Britain went to war in the early two thousands. Mm-hmm. Very kind of similar situation of the the government were spinning a a lie that went against the democratic will and also uh, known facts. Yeah, like at the same time and. I get definitely get that flavor from these scenes that that this is a comment on that. That's how I read it. Right. Um because you know that's what we were going through as a culture. It's like how can you how can you ignore that amount of people and that amount of facts? Uh little did we know it was you the just tip have of the to iceberg. choose to. Yeah. <laughs> little did we know where it we, almost yeah. looks quaint now. We we didn't we didn't realize then that it would be a way of life. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> but and you know that's exactly what what you know the 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 the, the minister of magic is trying to normalize. Right. Uh, yeah. And also, you know, control over wizard education. Mhm. Which was a always a point of controversy and I think JK Rowling was a teacher, right? Am I right That's... in thinking that? I don't actually know. Okay. Yeah. But certainly that idea of... That certainly of how, seems how, uh, how much worrisome and should... suspect now. Well, because um, Umbridge is... <laughs> not necessarily. Um, <laughs> she just received an award from... From, you know, a, a literary award for writing that dreadful um, and untrue... Uh, anti-trans essay so who the she fuck she won knows? an award yeah she she was awarded i don't know the details of it but she was awarded this bullshit kind of oh well we didn't like the argument but the way she put it was very clever sort of award and i'm like fuck you oh wow fuck all of you well Anti-trans. on that happy note let's take a break <laughs> and when we come back we'll get into the meat of this story of Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. Sound good? Sure. All right, then. Back after this. If you like podcasts like I do, boy, do I have a treat for you. You need to... Stay on target. And check out the Sounds and Cinema podcast. Listen as your host, sound designer and music creator, Tony Parham, and co-host, musical performer and sound lover, Derek Hansen, D-Rock if you're nasty, and I am, discuss all things sound related to film, television, stage, and theatrical productions. They discuss environmental sounds, bioacoustics, dialogue, the nature of communication through sound, but as an added bonus, they drink beer and try to... Stay on target! Find them wherever you get your podcasts and listen to the pure mania of a man who can charitably be described as Doug, the dog from Up, and another man with a soothing and sultry voice trying to get that man to... Stay on target! That's the Sounds and Cinema Podcast. Tune in and listen to the sounds they are creating just for you. And we're back. Tom and I are here discussing the 2007 film Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. Tom, what shenanigans are going on in this movie? What's it about? Um, well, it is about the installment of a government spy. 
in Hogwarts. Right. Uh, taking the uh, Melda Staunton. And how great is she, by the she, way? Yeah, as Umbridge, she's she's great I in this mean, role. We, we we've talked in in every episode about how the defense of the dark arts teacher, uh, love boat style guest spot is um, right. is kind of filled every time by the pro- possibly the best person you can imagine, and it doesn't stop here to do the role. Like, right? This is this yeah. is you know this is. Uh, you know, at one at one point, you know, they give it to a regular, but still, at this point, we're getting these uh, absolute national treasures uh, playing these yeah, roles. Right. And again, uh, you know, the Pentangeli effect. This is an entirely different kind of character. I mean, she's right, a straight yeah. up villain in that role. Before you, Big before time. you know, Branna was was a, a kind of was villainous to some extent, but that wasn't right, the point of him. But bumbling and um Yeah. Lupin was uh was obviously an ally and mentor. Uh Moody was I don't know, a, a magic robot. I don't know what was a, going on. A yeah, criminal. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a criminal in disguise. And that, I thought that I then you know, you disputed this earlier on, but I'm sure that in this movie he remains at the school, but they—they—they're not. The real Moody is now at the school. He's he not is, at the school. He's there when they do the first assembly, and they say like he's going to be hanging around doing some stuff for us, just like that. You're nuts. Those are Dumbledore's exact words. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> Moody's here. He's going to do some stuff for okay. us. No, but they—but it's interesting how like. He's at the beginning. He helps get Potter to Grimmauld Place. I can't, I can't, I don't think you see him until I'm the sure end. Sure, he's in the assembly scene anyway. In the big battle. Um, I'll defer to you on that, even though you're wrong. Um, <laughs> but yeah, should... let us know, everybody. Mike or Tom is Moody working? Don't make at don't the make school. these don't let make Tom these know people how watch a Harry Potter movie. For for. Should they want to, dumbass? You're the only person that hates this movie. Series. Hey, I, 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 because you're a monster. I am, I am at worst ambivalent <laughs> about this series. I was like, just oh, I, I'm, I'm th- three, you know, four, four bad, three good for something right. that I apparently despise. It's pretty good. <laughs> Well, so but anyway, she's she's installed there, and she takes she you know at some point there's a uh, Harry Potter starts like a, a a kind of secret society within the school, Dumbledore's army, which is a Tom. cross between a, like a um, World War Two underground resistance and Dead Poet Society, and. Uh, <laughs> Uh, when when they are exposed as as kind of working against this new government mandated syllabus, um, it's used as an excuse for the government to basically turn it into a horror of horrors, a state school. Woo! <laughs> yeah. um, and there's uh, you, some kids get tortured in a in a in a yes. really chilling scene, made all the more chilling uh, by the blood quill. Made all the more chilling that it's yes. not spectacular in any way or particularly gory. It's just, it's you're just watching kids sc- like scrawl uh, scars into their arms, into their in hands, compl- right? And that's visceral. in a completely deadpan way, which just which makes it really sinister. I think. Agreed. So yeah, all that's. I can imagine and feel the pain on the yeah. back of my hand. It was a really nice as Harry is, you know, writing. It was a really nice choice. I think if, if Chris Columbus had, uh, would have tried to uh, alleviate the the feel that uncomfortable feeling, uh, whereas I think David Yates is very. What do you mean by changing it to something else or having comedy? Yeah, like it, it, into it would it right it would after seem or kind of like funnier or less threatening but david i think david yates is sort of and again i think this is about what's going on in the background you know with 
state-sanctioned torture happening, you know, in the world mm-hmm. in Iraq. It's very much saying, you know, torture is torture, guys. Um, yeah. I think it's taken very, very seriously because it's going on in a real-world sense. Because we're dealing yeah. with it, yeah, in in real life. That was my, that was my feeling about it, anyway. Right. Uh, so, yeah, and uh, the rest I... But another big kind of side story for this movie is Young Love again. Is it? Re- yeah, relationships are building. Harry with Cho. Oh, with yeah, Cho but Chang. he dumps her for a, for, for a more his... Aryan-looking woman, so it doesn't matter in the end. That's not until the next no, movie. No, the, at the end of this movie, they make it clear that he's done with her. Because she, she's, a, she's a kind of turncoat. Right, chose sort of. Yeah, but, but she, but but not by choice. She was given the veritaserum. Well, Harry seems to to think that she had a choice. He doesn't. He doesn't know okay. until later. I'm trying to remember it now. Well, the, no, it's ever, just like we. Is that ever revealed in the movie? That's part of the uh, book. I don't know. You're asking the wrong person. No, yeah, because Snape Snape says I. They learn about Cho Chang's. Taking a taking a potion to make her tell the truth against her will, but it's never really brought it's, up again. You know, it says something to me about the the um, the shortcomings of Goblet of Fire, the previous movie. That I never got a sense that Cedric dying was a big deal until this movie. It is all right. people are talking about, and it is if this as if this character has been with us since the beginning, when in fact he he's in a mo- he's he was only in the previous movie and barely speaks, and and, and yeah, so right. I'm like this movie does actually quite a good job of convincing you, like retconning the the last movie's in a, in how important he yeah, was in the lives of certainly Cho Chang and yeah. as, as an important character as he obviously is because of the way this movie treats them and the whole sort of love triangle thing, which, uh, with, you know, uh, Harry Cho and Cedric or Dedrick, as I, as I like to call him now from this point onwards, (laughs) um, you heartless bastard. (laughs) So I kind of thought, yeah, I thought that was, that was interesting. I think my note was something like, well, turns out Cedric's an important character who knew. Mm hmm. So, and I really like the moment. There, there's lots of good moments in these movies where there's a you know delineation between men and women, and when Harry's explaining that he kissed Cho, but that it was mostly wet because she was crying, and then Hermione has to explain to them everything that Cho is feeling. Mm. You know, that she likes Harry, but she feels guilty because of Cedric. It's, you know, it kind of goes on and on. Ron says, how can any one person feel all of that at once? And she says, well, not everybody has the emotional, you know, uh, the emotional equivalent of a teaspoon. I'm, I'm I'm glad that you got all that out of the scene. I thought it was a little bit weird that Harry was describing his first kiss to his male and female best friend. (laughs) <laughs> but is that not something British people as, do? as we know J.K. Rowling is gender blind <laughs> yeah um, we Americans are always talking about who we're hooking up with but it was definitely it was definitely what I liked is it was a there was a lot less of the horny teenager vibe that we had from the last movie that was kind of played down and, and I was I was enamored with that all right. It felt, you know, those interactions like they they felt proportional to the plot in a way that they didn't in the last movie for me. Okay. Um so yeah, I could like the you know, there's a kind of I think it's just it's it's about, you know, saying we'll let Do you think that's a director thing? Do you I think don't know. that David Yates just gets that tone better or right? Or is it everything? Is it like the script? Is it the acting? Is it? Uh, it, yeah, it, it it's everything. But I said I, you know, without stereotyping Mike Newell versus David Yates too much, 
I suspect that David Yates would probably... Well, I don't know. He directed Deathly Hallows, so what does he know about indulgence? But um, certainly at this point, <laughs> I think I think there is a drive to make this a more plot-driven movie. Does that Does that scan for you? It doesn't well, feel. It doesn't I, ling, I was thinking it doesn't about that earlier when things. we started talking about what this movie is about because plot-wise, you know, it's not like the other movies in which, hey, somebody's escaped from Azkaban and he might try to get into Hogwarts. You know, he's there's a dangerous person. In the last one, you have the Goblet of Fire, so you know that we're going to have these games going well, that's on. That's not plot. That's and this just one, set pieces. But that's what the movie's about. The movie's about the Triwizard Tournament. Yeah. But this movie's about like actual like a, like a story with stakes. Yeah. Maybe it's the stakes that it, that like start to there's a sense, I don't know, there's a sense of not we're not playing around anymore. Quite literally in the last movie. Well, we were so and that's around. the thing that's interesting to me. Yeah. That's the thing that's interesting to me is that the stakes are higher, but the kids aren't necessarily trying to solve a problem or solve a mystery. Interesting. In the way that they are in other movies. I right? agreed, yeah. You know, it's a lot more of just going to classes. And I think I mentioned this before. This is one of my downgrades for this movie is the book for this. This particular book is like the biggest, one of the biggest books. But this is the shortest movie. Mm. And they solve that problem through lots of musical montages. So this movie feels retrograde to the 80s in a way for that. Hmm. And I'm not advocating, like, don't split it into two movies. God, no. No. God, no. But. Well, that, I don't know, the, the leanness of it, I mean, again, maybe I'm prejudicial, but. Of course you are. <laughs> but despite that, you know, like I. <laughs> that goes without saying. I, I feel I feel like, you know, there's, there's, there's also a case of part of what any adaptation does is prioritize. And mm-hmm. to me, this prioritized the most interesting things about this story. Um, what are those? Well, like, you know, like, you, the, 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 the Ministry of Magic and, okay. you know, government propaganda, uh, this, the, you know, the, the fight, the fight back against, you know, the evils of, the injustice of the state um yeah. that is a more interest you know that you have a point there that that with in the guise of that context that does make this movie more interesting than maybe i you know it's it's hard too cuz you haven't read the book yeah and i was I, and, you know i'm always and I'm i know always as audience members we should separate because they're two different mediums, but when you when you love a book, you know everybody loves a book, and you know you you judged it, you judge those movies based on the books. Yeah, and I'm grateful. For, it's hard I'm grateful not to that I don't have to read the books, but I'm also grateful that this movie doesn't make me feel like I want to read the books. I mean, there there is clearly, as uh, you know, as you're talking, I realize that there's many levels here that I've not that I'm not cognizant of. Which yeah. is, but I'm, right. I'm kind of, which I'm kind of you fine feel with you're that. blissfully unaware. I'm kind of fine with that. <laughs> I don't feel like I'm missing out, but I, you know, I can if if I stand outside myself, oh, you are. I can see that you know there are a lot, uh, that the kind of ongoing story arc of this movie is kind of handled in a very muddled way. Well, and that's what I was trying to refer yeah. to earlier. I mean, the, right? the, you because... know, the, I don't know what the reintroduction of Grouch Jr. is really all about. David Tennant. Of what? Oh I, yeah. I it seems like. Yeah, it, it, it's it sort of. It speeds through a lot of things that probably need more attention, but because I'm, because I like the thrust of the movie, I'm happy to ignore them. 
But All that, right. I mean, it's interesting. I mean, I, I this movie, to me, really crystallized this question of, like, am I watching this as a sequel or as a literary, a, a literary adaptation in an ongoing series? Well, and that's the thing that's really interesting about this series to begin with is because they are all that you know all these movies are based on another piece of material right and so they differ from most of the series we've done yeah except for die on that basis yeah but most of which is based on a novel. Uh, you know, you can't. Yeah, like like most of that was not I, I'm written not serious. for Die Hard. They just, serious. yeah. All right. Die Hard is many things. A literary adaptation, it is not. And we talked about in that one. Like the one thing that was written for Die Hard specifically is a piece of shit. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, and and obviously that. Well, it raised it raised a, a couple of questions. You know, the first is. I realize while watching this movie, it's like I don't need to worry about the the fact that this is an adaptation and that it's a you know a, a chrono you know like a a serial storyline because this movie shows me that a sequel is a sequel is a sequel you know all that point of view memory magic stuff doesn't fool me. This is a sequel, so we're showing old footage again. <laughs> and also something happened Tom's not going to let go of his imbass I'll and tell the, you the that other much point is I, I thought at one point <laughs> in the movie ha- Hagrid's hitherto unmentioned brother turns up and I'm like yeah this is just <laughs> yeah. a sequel I can understand this I know where this movie's coming from but th- then the other point well what did you think of Hagrid be- you know having been missing for so long did you miss him at the front end of this movie, or because well, that's the thing? Yeah. That's the other thing about these movies is as each movie goes along, you add characters, and you're not always taking characters away. And so it's like a tag team. Sometimes they feel like they're they're busting at the seams. Well, it's you like know? a tag team, and there's this constant push and pull of the supporting cast, and it's very yeah. it. But for the most part, I think they do that really well. Yeah, I agree. Throughout the, throughout but it's also made it's made very plain, you know, Dumbledore stands up and said Professor Hagrid is on leave and I'm like, well, he's not going to be in at least half of this movie. Mm-hmm. If at <laughs> right. all. Um and then, you know, we have a moment where it is literally one out one in with Gary Oldman and David Thewlis. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> where he disappears into a silk screen, you know, that when they go to the the chamber of cameos whatever that place is in the ministry. <laughs> and Gary Oldman disappears and, and doesn't Lupin say something like, uh, okay, now it's me for, for a bit. <laughs> like something along those lines. He's like, okay, I'm taking over. So it is like this tag team push and pull and they're very upfront about it. Like they don't, they don't sort of, uh, they don't do, I guess what a lot of sequels do is try and pretend that, that the people you love are in the movie more than they're actually in it. That, yeah, right. I mean, we get Gary Oldman back after a movie in which he was only a fireplace. Right. Um, he only appears via coals. <laughs> um, and in this but, one, we talked but, about but that last time. That, that whole forever. fire talking is much better in this movie. Oh, my God. It looks so much better. Yeah. And that makes me wonder whether, you know, it's just just time you know improvement of effects they mm-hmm. figured out how to do it or whether directorially it is because i i think there's a lot of things in goblet of fire that look cheaper than they have to and, and you had that revelation about budget which i didn't think was possible in a that a Harry yeah Potter movie i, I mean run out of money. i was surprised to learn that that there was any sort of limitation on budget but it definitely read like things look cheap and nasty in that movie and they don't hear yeah um and obviously time you know we we effects move on very quickly but i think there there is definitely it's definitely about the care and the the way the way you well, like and also and just choice integrate yeah. yeah exactly how you integrate it right um all right well let's take another break and then when we come back we'll finish up harry potter and the order of the phoenix but not the series sadly oh no we're still going baby we're not even we're not even halfway <laughs> are we halfway we've got to be halfway 
We're halfway. Oh, okay. Yeah. Right after this, we'll be right back. <laughs> If you like podcasts like I do, boy, do I have a treat for you. You need to stay on target and check out the Sounds and Cinema podcast. Listen as your host, sound designer and music creator, Tony Parham, and co-host, musical performer and sound lover, Derek Hansen, D-Rock if you're nasty, and I am, discuss all things sound related to film, television, stage, and theatrical productions. They discuss environmental sounds, bioacoustics, dialogue, the nature of communication through sound. But as an added bonus, they drink beer and try to... Stay on target. Find them wherever you get your podcasts and listen to the pure mania of a man who can charitably be described as Doug, the dog from Up, and another man with a soothing and sultry voice trying to get that man to... Stay on target. That's the Sounds and Cinema Podcast. Tune in and listen to the sounds they are creating just for you. And we're back. Tom and I are, of course, here still discussing Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. Tom, there's a few things I want to talk about. One, I want to get your read on the very, the teenage anger of Harry in this movie which is really present yeah. in the book. And of course, in a book, you can go far more into his thoughts and feelings and how he wishes he couldn't be as angry as he was, but he can't yeah. help it and blah, you know, to that extent. Does it work for you in the movie? I didn't get the angst. I got the, I got the sense that we're, we're at this point, we're trying to turn Harry into a full-blown anti-hero. But yeah, you've talked but also, about that you know, before. a little bit of, de- you know, a little bit of deniability to sort of say, you know, the, the point where he's possessed and he starts to shout, look at me, you know, like. It's like right. it's that kind of you've got that built in deniability. It's like, oh, he was possessed, but it's also still going well, on. And in that's his, also it's clearly all still going on in his psyche. Um, yeah. And that's another bit of a subplot, this idea that Dumbledore is ignoring him the entire school term. And even before, at the, at, uh-huh. at the trial. You know? Which I think is pretty humanizing, this idea that as, as brilliant as Dumbledore is, he makes mistakes. And if he had been sharing with Harry what his thoughts and concerns, none of this might have happened. Well, is isn't but isn't it all revealed to be part of a Uber plan? It's all part of an Uber that plan. Involves having but, to keep Harry in the dark. But part of the only reason that yeah, part of the reason that 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 plan works is that Harry's manipulated by Voldemort in a way that might not have happened if Dumbledore had said Voldemort might try to manipulate mm. you. Which he de- he just never says until the end of right. the movie. You know. Yeah, and you, I think you know the the moral ambiguity of Harry's coming into into play more at certain points in this movie, but he's also taking far more of a leadership role. Um, yeah, I mean, he, he becomes, becomes a, a teacher, teacher and also a. Umbridge won't teach them proper defense against the dark arts and. You know, yeah, Harry takes over. So he's a he's a leader, a teacher, a a, a kind of freedom fighter almost. Um, so right, it's it's coming of age. You know, in the last movie, it was kind of coming of age in nearly all sexual terms, and this is about coming of age. Yes, in terms of how you handle the world around you. So that's yeah. more interesting to me. It's a more interesting art to explore from uh, from Harry. So, um, but, I was, but I didn't. I don't know. Yeah, I, I if if angst was was what's supposed to be there, I definitely didn't really get that. You didn't get his palpable anger, though. He's short with all his friends. He's always yelling at them. At some point, Hermione is well. Saying, I want stop I want snapping to yell at us, at them, Harry. So. We're, 
I don't see that as abnormal. Be a better actor. Don't make so many bad choices. God damn it. How dare you? Uh, yeah, well, okay. I mean, I'll buy it. Um, but uh, it. Well, I'm just, I, you know, I'm interested because I get, I'm interested in the idea that it didn't register with you as much considering how much a part of the book it is. And so maybe, you know, when you're a, a fan and, and read the books, maybe you're, you're seeing more than somebody coming in mm. cold. I, I don't know. I, I mean, all, all yeah. my, uh, all my notes of referring to that are in the, in, uh, in the next movie. I didn't get much of it here. Um, that he starts to become a real hmm. cocky douche in the next movie. Uh, maybe I'm just, you know, I'm just, I have a bad temper and I don't notice when people on screen have a bad temper because <laughs> it, because it, se- That's because it seems normal, uh, <laughs> it normal to me. I mean, one of the curious things I, I mean, this is obviously about storytelling, not just character, but he, he gets a chance to learn the secret of his scar didn't say, you know, mm-hmm. don't you want to know the secrets of your scar? And he says, I've wait, waited 14 years. I can wait a little bit longer. Um, and I thought that was interesting. That's a that's That seems to me a very mature choice. It's obviously really about we've got three more movies and three, and three more books <laughs> right. or two more books to explore this. But, uh, you know, sure. it's like... A, you feel like this kind of at the beginning of this movie, he might've been more impetuous having not gone through this kind of baptism of of fire as a kind of uh, a soldier, you know, like a general in the war against Voldemort. Well, no, it's not against Voldemort. Is it? It's against the, it's against the state and them trying to cover up Voldemort. True. That's the like Voldemort. I I made the I made the comparison to to Blofeld, but uh, in terms of screen time, and how much the movie's interested in Voldemort is not is really is the Blofeld of this movie. (laughs) He just pops up like, wait a minute, aren't I supposed to be the villain? Aren't I You know, you can all you can all do this all yourselves without me. Uh. So yeah, I, I there, there was definitely a lot going on in in the in kind of Harry's Harry's arc. Well, uh, I think that's one of my the complaints I have against this movie are are in that vein of the idea of how much is going on. You you referred to. Hagrid's brother. The, the he looks like so, a motion capture James Corden. Yeah, and so we have Grop and the Centaurs. I mean, I don't have a problem. Like you know, when you read the book, you don't have a problem because you have this great big beautiful book, so you can go through it, and it all feels rushed in the Absolutely. movie. Absolutely, and and then on top of that. You know, we talked, say, in in Prisoner of Azkaban, how good the digital effects (laughs) look in that movie for a lot of the mythical creatures. And I don't think Grop looks very good digitally in this movie. The Thestrals look good, I think. Are they the centaurs? Yeah, the sort of winged horses that they go to the ministry The Native Americans of the Harry Potter universe. Uh, there you go. Um, so it is a it is a western. And we after talked all. in the last. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you know, story wise, we were talking. I think we gave a lot of play in the last episode. We were talking about how much or how little the house elves oh, are in the right. movies and Dobby and mm. all of that. And the one, you know, there's there's things missing in this movie that bother me. And one of the things that miss me or that really bother me is. In the book, there's a scene, and they have it in the movie, in which Harry breaks into um, Umbridge's mm-hmm. office, and he's just trying to, because like her office is the only office they can use for the flu powder, which is the fireplace. Stick your head in the fireplace and go to another fireplace network. 
which I'm sure you don't know, but <laughs> so I know that Gary Oldman just appears trying as a to fire. get. Well, well, that's the yeah. So he's going okay. the other way. He's trying to get to Grimmauld Place's fireplace to just see if Sirius is okay because he has seen a vision that he's being tortured by Which Voldemort. Which was like I thought that was very Empire Strikes Back. Yes, very much. And he gets into the office, but Umbridge in the book, he actually puts his face into the fire, but Sirius isn't there. And it's Sirius's house elf that tells him he, the master's mm. gone. And he's lying. And so this is what propels Harry to take the drastic steps that he does, taking the Thestrals, getting on brooms, all of he and all of his friends going to the ministry and trying to thwart mm. Voldemort. And all of that's left out in the movie. Right. So, you know, in my mind... It's a little bit contrived, though, wouldn't you say, from a storytelling point of view, to for it to all be based on a misunderstanding? Yeah, well, but what I like about it is, that, like, because there's other stuff. Like, Harry just wants to leave. Yeah. He takes it as, in the book, he's, in the book, he's, I, let's go, we have to leave mm. now. And it's Hermione that says, Harry, you don't even know if these are you know, real visions. It might not be. It could be a trick. We have to oh, find out I, for I, sure. That's in the movie, right? I have a note about that. That's in the movie. But they never find out for sure. My point is they never find out for sure. <laughs> okay, they never, he never goes to Grimmauld yeah. Place. You know, shit just happens. They all get caught by Umbridge. And this is, this is the they first have, time we've know, seen a house elf since Chamber of Secrets, right? And he's a piece yes. of shit. In this movie, well, in this thing. movie, he's a piece you know, of shit. I think he's. Re- in this movie, he's a piece of shit. In the book, it's more explained if, if Sirius had just been kinder. Oh, good, because that's my point. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's always my point. So Dumbledore, Dumbledore is making the point that if Sirius had been kinder, then none of this would have happened. But at the same time. Dumbledore has to admit that if he had just been honest with Harry from the start, none of this would happen. Well, I mean... And all of that's very interesting to me. The choices we make, whether we're wizards or human beings, you know, the the frailty of, of who we are can cause great damage. And it does in this movie. I mean, Sirius dies. Well, he, he, he turns into a silkscreen. Um... <laughs> <laughs> and 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 is rege- regenerates always, into David. Always got to try and burn everything down. <laughs> no, I'm not salting the earth, but, Tom I'm not, Stewart. I'm really actually really interested in what you're saying because you know that's my standard defense about the elves is like stop treating them like shit, and things will go better because they're slaves. Right. <laughs> you shouldn't be keeping them in the first place, <laughs> and you shouldn't be mistreating them when you have them. Uh, but but in this True. movie, it just seemed like, you know, the 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 moral quandary was taken out of the picture because the the elf was a piece of shit. So it's like, it's like we don't even have to think about that because he's not even one of the good ones. Right. But the thing is, is you know, the idea is why is he a piece of shit? And it's because he's been treated like a piece of shit yeah, for so and that's, long. And the, there's no you you've told me all that. I didn't get any of that from the movie. And you, right. and you, and it's all based on prejudices, right? Well, I mean, Sirius hated his family. There's a really great scene when, when Harry's talking to Sirius in the in the room with the, the wallpaper that has his family tree on mm-hmm. it, and he's talking about how he hated the lot of them and how he, you know, how he hated his family and how he's always welcome at the Potter house. And what have the slaves of the house got to do with that? <laughs> Well, because he hated his family, he hates the house elf that serves that family. Mm. And because they were all dark wizard leaning, right. let's say, maybe supportive of, of Voldemort in his when Voldemort first had moderate power. evil. <laughs> They're kind of the 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 um on the on the uh, the Steve Schmidt spectrum. They're kind of moderate evil. Um, 
There you go. Uh, yeah. Well, I just, I just, I mean, I have a big pro. I have a big problem with this. If if if, if it's explained in the books, fine. Um, but you know, I think in the same way that this movie is pretty bold in how it depicts anything that approaches torture visually and thematically as as uh you know something that is morally abhorrent there should be yeah. some comment on the el you know the elves in the same way i guess we get there kind of but in the you know by the end of the series but if he'd just been kinder to creature, Tom, yeah, everything would have been okay. And, uh, well, yeah, that, but I don't get that. I, that. That didn't occur to me until you filled me in on on that background. And when I saw the house elf, <laughs> I was like, I really hope he's not a piece of shit. And he was a piece of shit because yeah, right. every all the work you've done with, but Dobby that's one is of the undone. things that bothers me. You know, all the work. There are some missing holes that I think are really important in this movie, Clearly. and there's stuff where they felt like. What you know, the audience had to see some stuff, but it's all done over musical montages. Correct. And then the one last thing that kind of bothers me is I, I fluctuate between there's things that I like and dislike in the entire kind of last scene, the battle scene. Mm. And especially when they go into the prophecy room and all the orbs are there, it's very clear that this is a completely digital environment. Mm. Now, I'm not saying you have to build 20-story high shelves with glass orbs Why on not? them, but, well, I mean, it, <laughs> I, I'm not saying, yeah. I'm not saying, I'm what I'm saying is not an entire room that's a mile long. Yeah. But, yes, give me, give me Do something 10. physical. Yeah. yeah, give me something physical because I think the movie suffers from that. And, and that whole thing uh, is far different from the book, which I'm actually okay with, both how they get to that, finally get to that. There's lots of other rooms they go into, and yeah, I didn't need them to go in any other rooms. No, yeah. <laughs> so all of that's not necessary. The veil scene where they actually battle between good and evil, mm. I like that a little bit more. But you can tell it's also a lot of digital stuff going on. I had a, the overall but, feeling that the, the 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 sort of last act of this movie is fairly slapdash in a lot of regards. You think so? I mean, you know, we've we've seen some really inventive use of the end credits. Here, it just feels like just get them out, just get them out. It's like, are you going <laughs> to do something with that script effect? No, just get it out, just get it out. This movie, I, I'm I'm done with it. You know, and it was just. In that last act, I sort of felt well. I mean, they're 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 storytelling decisions, and they're probably in the book. But you know, to I'm not sure I'm comfortable with Harry dumping the girl of color for the most Aryan-looking female character in the movie. All that sort of stuff. <laughs> um, it just felt kind of like a, suddenly they were making a lot of bad choices. Very all all in this part of the movie. Um. Hmm. But maybe that's just me. I think I don't think you need. Well, what do you think of the final battle? I don't think you need the spinning newspaper. <laughs> the, the the images are already animated. Dumbledore and Potter vindicated. And also, like how Batman hard style? must it be to write about Voldemort in a newspaper? Right, because you can't say his name. So it'll just be like. <laughs> He who must not be named. Yeah, it's like Tom. it's like when you talk about ISIS, you have to say so-called Islamic State, or you're or well, you're endorsing them you as as you know the the uh, yeah the Islamic version of Israel. Let me ask you this: What do you what did you think? Because it's very different from the book, but I still really like this wizard battle between Dumbledore and Voldemort. Did that work for you? Uh oh, I don't, I don't, I don't remember <laughs> that. When did that happen? Sirius dies. Right. Bellatrix, Bellatrix kills Sirius. In the book, Dumbledore actually comes into that room to solve some some shit, but 
not in the movie. He shows up in one out of one of the fireplaces and says, "You shouldn't have come here tonight, Tom." And then they have, yeah, you know, like uh, a huge fire dragon. Is this Voldemort creates? Is this and where, then where Dumbledore surrounds him in water, and then he breaks all the windows, and he comes down, and Dumbledore kind of puts a shield in front of him that turns it into sand. Mm. I like all of that. The sound sounds pretty different than sounds the book, good the way but... that you're describing it. I have zero memory <laughs> of it. Jesus, <laughs> uh, that's funny. <laughs> um, sure, sure. Sounds sounds good. <laughs> what else you got? I don't know. That's about it. I mean, I you know. There's got to be more, right? Or is this a very slight? Is this slight compared to the other movies? No, I. You know, I. It's you know four movie four and five. I've got problems with, but I still love them. Mm. I can't help myself, Tom. They're still great. I like I liked uh, bringing Filch to the center of the movie. Okay. Umbridge was a really good vehicle for that because we haven't seen enough yeah. of him. I love David Bradley. He's great. And I love the idea of him as this kind of like kowtowing, uh, you know, um, minion of Umbridge. Like, like that was the role mm-hmm. he was waiting for all these years. Presumably he has some kind of backstory that I'm not interested in, but... Right, I bet he has a back a backstory. Is he in Fantastic Beasts? He's a squib. He's a squib. I, I don't. I, as as I have already said on this episode, I don't know what a squib is, so that doesn't help me. A squib. I'll go ahead and tell you, a squib is a person born of magical lineage that has no magical powers or little magical powers. Right. So he's an impotent wizard. Yeah. There you he's go. A sterile wizard. all right look my final word on this movie is even though you know i have problems with it like you visually i find this movie to be stunning in some places you were talking about the sort of black look of the ministry and that kind of i mean there's just there's so much stuff in this movie that i like despite all the problems i have and there's just not you know this is a good movie for me. Well, it's a good movie. End of the day. And it's a good movie for me. Good movie. I think we'll leave um, I think we'll leave it right there. I like your last words being good movie. Yeah, and this is as good as it gets for me from now on. <laughs> Obviously. Well, not as good as it gets, but this is as good as it will be. Um although I did want to rate like well, I'll tell you what's a good note to go out on leading into the next episode. I actually, in look, looking over my notes and thinking about the, these movie, two movies together, uh, t- sorry, thinking about Half-Blood Prince and Order of the Phoenix, I actually think these movies work well as one movie. Perhaps better mm. than Deathly Hallows does in a weird way. <laughs> like, I think about <laughs> it and you won't be surprised at the comparison I'm making here. But I'm thinking you, uh, on the podcast James Bonding, they're, they're always pushing the idea that the best movie, the best way to see Casino Royale and Quantum of Solace is as one movie. That's mm. the best version of both those movies. And I kind of feel the same here. I, I like I, the, these movies kind of dovetail, you know, like they cancel out each other's shortcomings. But I mean, as with okay. Casino Royale and Quantum of Solace, one is clearly better than the other, and I think Order of Phoenix is clearly better than Half Blood Prince for me. But um, actually, you know, when you look at them together, they they jibe in a way that's kind of interesting. And you know, as will be no surprise given my rankings and declarations, a more interesting um, couple of movies than the the two-part movies in this franchise <laughs> well we'll get into it because i i actually i ranked six above five yeah 
And there's a lot was, of good in six. A lot of good. I was surprised by that because six is the one I've seen the least. But I was I was surprised how much I enjo enjoyed it on a rewatch. But what we'll talk about is. I think that one's adapted really well. So again, I'm you know I'm coming at this from a book and movie lover, and it's interesting to hear your takes based just on seeing the movies. And by the way, I just want to clarify: I do read books, just not these <laughs> books. Very good. Then we'll end it there. If you have, if I don't you want have people thinking that I'm movies, illiterate. <laughs> it's starting to sound like. Because I haven't read the Harry Potter series. I've never read a book. I hate books. <laughs> Tom Stewart, book hater. Like the Bond books. I've read those. <laughs> Very good. Of course you have. How could you not? Ladies and gentlemen, please find us on Facebook. Find us on uh, Instagram or Twitter and send us a message. You could uh, write us an email at the everything sequel at gmail.com. For Tom Stewart from Lonesome Whistle Productions, I am Michael Schantz from the How Dare You Awards. Goodbye, and we'll see you next time.